Welcome. My name is Michael McDonnell. I am the cybersecurity librarian. Thank you for joining for us on our live stream about threat intelligence. Here is my co-host, Moro. How you doing, Moro? Pretty good. Yourself, Michael? I am doing great. Uh, I'm pretty excited. Um, you and I both love talking about all of the adversaries in the world. Um, Absolutely. I was going to say, uh, I think our half hour conversation last night went into like a two hour diatribe <laughs> <laughs> about organized crime, which I, I hope we'll discuss today. Right. So, I mean, you know, July has been an exciting month, uh, kind of a bad way, <laughs> in a bad way. Uh, a lot of threat actors showing up, uh, a lot of bad stuff happening. So um, hopefully uh, this will be a very interesting uh, chat. Uh, I mean, Michael will say uh, we, we've got two guests that are uh, very well in tune with uh, cybersecurity and uh, threat intelligence. So I'm 100% excited. But uh, before we start, I want to ask everyone to smash that like button and subscribe if you haven't already and hit that uh, bell thing if you want to get notified of a upcoming uh, live stream that we'll, we'll be hosting. Hey, for all of our regular subscribers, thank you so much. We hit 100 subscribers a week ago, which let me create a custom YouTube URL, which really helps us uh, tell people how to find us. And so there's literally, you can say, go to youtube.com slash C for channel cyber librarian um, instead of that horrible 32 character monstrous thing that you can't actually um, share easily. <laughs> <laughs> or remember, like seriously, it's like. Yeah, exactly. But, so. Uh, yeah. Thanks, everyone. Uh, so one of the really cool things is uh, you were saying earlier, when we were planning this particular live stream, we thought the big story of the month would be the Twitter hack. And then we had this week. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I, dear audience, I have absolutely no hope that this will only be a 60-minute live stream. It's probably going to be 90 minutes because there's so many cool things to discuss. Um, our goal here is to include you. So um, don't hold back your questions. Don't hold back your comments. Please include those below. We'll uh, respond to them throughout. It's um, it's a fun, uns unscripted, um, free-for-all as we talk about things. Let me bring on our co-hosts, because when we do Threat Intel, this is less about Moro and myself. And it's a lot about Chris McNeil. Uh, Chris McNeil, when I first met him, was the only other person in cybersecurity that had kept up on the news as much as me. And even more to the point, in, in threat intelligence, one of the most important things you can do is reduce bias so that you have an objective view. And Chris is the one guy who keeps my bias in check the number of times that I've gone off about something, a story about pen testers, and he's like, you don't have the facts. And I'm like, of course I have the facts. And that's what I love about this guy. He's up to date. He knows what's going on. And he's got great bias reduction. And we've got Alex Mather Shapiro. Uh, Alec, this man. Alec. Remember, it's Alec. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Literally five minutes ago, I promised him I wouldn't call him Alex. So Alec knows how to go deep when it comes to analyzing an adversary. And between these two gentlemen, Moro and I just have to kick back and let them talk. Absolutely. Uh, so Chris, uh, before we let you do your thing, 
what are the, just give us a summary. What are the stories that are, you're going to talk about that are really important? Uh, the stories that I'm bringing in this week, um, Emotet's back. Um, the uh, adversary relations between other foreign nations have real world impacts. Those are the two big topics that I'm covering this week. Okay. And Alec, uh, what about you? Uh, I guess my two favorite ones, one of them is a bit older, but it's, it's big news and I'm basically obsessed with it. And it's the maze cartel as it's forming and, and growing. And the second one is APT 29, uh, a Russian backed, um, advanced persistent threat is targeting COVID-19 vaccine developers. Okay. This is, this is wonderful. Excellent. And, uh, when you guys have, uh, introduced those topics and discussed them, then what we're gonna do is we're gonna come back as a group. And we'll talk about uh, Garmin and Evil Corp. And uh, if we haven't like gone completely over time, maybe we'll talk about that horrible, boring, nothing really happened Twitter hack. Uh, oh, boring? Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know what to call it after after Evil Corp, but um, that's true. That's true. I, I think Alec, um, would you agree if I were to say that? To be honest, the most exciting threat intelligence is for those adversaries that don't really hit the headlines. Yeah, it's it's the most exciting and it's the hardest too, right? Like if you're so part of the work I do is I work pretty extensively with our our SOC at my firm. So the SOC will feed me incidents, and it's my job to then see what I can find out, in, kind of to expand on those incidents. And some of them are small, and some of them are nothing. But some of them you find out about, like smaller, you know, startup, if you will, threat actors or groups. And that's that's interesting because you can kind of see these these groups build from nothing, or build and get absorbed by some of the, I guess what what the somebody else I know calls the apex predators of of the threat landscape, right? Like they start building and someone else will absorb them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All right. Um, let's, uh, let's let Chris take over and uh, I'm going to, I'm going to make you full screen and you can say whatever you want and then we'll come back and we'll have a little discussion about what you had to say. Perfect. Thank you, Michael. Uh, so the, one of the first things that I noticed right at the beginning when I was invited to come onto the live stream was that Emotet was kicking back off. Now, Emotet is a spam for service that allows people to purchase it. And then when Emotet infects an endpoint, it allows them to put whatever malware they want onto it. So Emotet had been dormant since about February of this year, and they're finally back up and running. What's interesting is this isn't the first time that Emotet has gone silent. Uh, back in 2019, they were silent for about a month or two. There was no activity, and then suddenly they came back up. It, this is interesting because why are they going silent? Are they refactoring their network? Have they been taken down? Are they recovering from a different attack? Are they just not being purchased at the moment? It's hard to say uh, without being the person who's running it, why Emotet suddenly goes silent or why it suddenly pops back up. And then, of course, within about four days of Emotet popping back up, we had the Emotet white hat hacker, where someone has gone in and they've taken over portions of the Emotet network and replaced the, the sections that drop the malware on the endpoint with memes. So people would get the email, they'd click on the link. Normally, when it takes them to the site that would drop the malware, instead, they get a lovely meme. So someone out there is trying to do the right thing, and we can have a discussion later about whether that's ethical or moral or right. Uh, but for some people, instead of getting malware, they got memes. 
that seems a win in my book. The next pieces that I had, um, real world adversaries and how they have impacts on the real world. So um, the CISA and the NSA have both uh, sent out memos urging people with operational technology or industrial control systems that they need to be uh, taking immediate action. And that's very strong words from government organizations saying to take immediate action to secure their systems. Uh, operational technology and ICS, very complicated, very important pieces of our critical infrastructure. And for government to come out and say, take immediate action, that means that something is coming. Now, what we don't know, they're not saying what they expect to happen, but in potentially, maybe, I'm drawing a conclusion between these two pieces. Uh, it's not necessarily truth, uh, but uh, there were two alleged Chinese hackers indicted on multiple charges for stealing intellectual property. Does that have anything to do with why NSA is suddenly saying we need to start protecting our ICS and OT infrastructure a little bit more, <coughs> potentially? And to bring it more full circle, uh, we saw more tit for tat between Israel and Iran, potentially Iran. Uh, people are alleging that it's Iran. Uh, back in uh, April, uh, a water facility in Israel was hacked and attacked. Um, wasn't much uh, real world impact from that other than repair people actually had to go on site and fix them. And then following that in May, we saw one of Iran's busiest ports shut down due to a cyber attack. Iran blamed Israel for their, that cyber attack, which shut down a, an actual shipping facility. And then just a couple of weeks ago, we saw yet another attack on a water control system in Israel, a pumping facility. And they people who were investigating said that it had been designed so that the attack would increase the amount of chlorine in the water, potentially harming real people. Again, the system, nothing failed at that point, but technicians did have to go on site to repair. So more tit for tat between real world adversaries. And we're seeing this uh, accumulation of cyber threats having real world impacts. So tie that back in. We have a lot of ICS and OT here in Calgary, especially with our uh, oil and gas. Um, but it's important to note that cyber isn't always just about ransomware, about affecting data. It, we are seeing an increase, and this is only going to get worse over time, with uh, real-world implications, uh, similar to what we saw in the Ukraine, where power grids were shut down. And the last piece that I had was the Discord API. Uh, Sandstormcast came out and they had collected some actual real world malware that was leveraging the API from Discord to um, launch Java attacks on local endpoints. And we can have a discussion about this, about how every time you're installing an application, especially nowadays, everybody loves to put APIs in their system, especially when we've got web-based technologies like Discord. It's a local app. It's running over the web. It's connecting with a lot of people. But if you hit the wrong website, something can attach in. It can leverage that API that's now existing through an application that you want on your machine, and it's starting to do malicious things. And I think uh, that's all I have, Michael. Awesome stuff. Interesting. So we have a comment from and a question from Kyle. But before I bring that up on the screen, um, what you just said about uh, APIs is really interesting. Um, so during the Twitter hack, 
one of the, if you were in Discord, you saw a flurry of little posts for me that I speculated that the Twitter hack had been executed through one of these third-party API trusts. So, you know, every time you do something with a web application, it pops up that thing saying, do you want to... Yeah. yeah, authorize it and it'll tell you what permissions it's got. Um, maybe you're authorizing it to use your LinkedIn account or your Google account. Um, when I've been setting up stuff for the cybersecurity library and website, I wanted to do some API automation. So one of the things I wanted to do is whenever we do a live stream, I wanted it to post automatically the YouTube video to the blog. And so I used a service called Zapier which is brilliant. It knows hundreds of APIs and can connect any two of them with automation. So you can say, well, if I post something on this site, also post it to these other sites. Um, the problem is if Zapier is compromised, everything you've trusted is compromised. And that's not what happened in Twitter, but that Discord was one of the things that I had authorized through Zapier. Um, we have to be very cautious of when we share these permissions. Um, I've also seen quite a few apps recently where when I enabled permission, they wanted everything, complete access to my Google account. Uh, Zoom, mm -hmm. when you accept a Zoom calendar uh, entry for a Zoom meeting and you're using Google uh, for business or education, it will, to add the calendar entry, it'll say, oh, just give us permission to your Google account. And it wants everything, everything in your calendar, read, write, which isn't necessary. And no other platform does that. Anyways, uh, that's my soapbox. <laughs> um, and it's not the first time we've seen real world um, hacks that have occurred through those third party um, interactions and trusts. So Kyle asks, is the infrastructure for Emetet always shared uh, when it pops up or can you buy the spam and use your own infrastructure? Is there a way to track the Emetet actors effectively? These are both good and separate questions and I have no clue. Yeah. I'm so, not entirely sure on it, but my understanding is that I don't have infrastructure to launch the spam attack. Therefore, that's what I'm purchasing from Emetet is the ability to have them. And I think, yeah, is it the payload? Is the payload coming from my infrastructure or do I pass my payload to Emotet? That I'm not sure on. Well, and it also depends on how fancy you want to get with it, right? Because there are there are affiliate programs on both clear and dark webs where you can get you can get spam campaigns that you just use as a front for Emotet. You can get you can leverage Emotet for for with other combinations of you know password crackers or whatever you want, and you just have to pick. It's it's like shopping anywhere else, right? You just need to know where the pieces you want are, and you go out and you get them. Like I, I am on probably two Clearnet forums, obviously not with my regular computer, that <laughs> where you can buy these things so I can track them. And then we also, through our firm, have a couple um, dark web, I guess is the, is the catchphrase for it, um, forums that we're a part of as well, so we can watch and track these things too. Malware a la carte. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's getting more and more advanced. <laughs> like, we, we saw an incident with a specific 
password cracker and just based on a couple of IOCs I found out where it was from and it was the you know one of the top selling premier banner headings on the forum that it was from and I was like well that's why I'm seeing it all of a sudden and people had paired that specific one with other you know homegrown mouse spam distributors from that same website so it's just you go and you shop you pick what you need and then you deploy it that way you don't have to know what you're doing um, for those members of the audience who aren't as familiar with the way cybercrime infrastructure works, um, let me just say a few words. Um, so one of the things to know about these cybercrime services, so you'll hear in the news about Emetet, uh, ransomware providers, but um, in the cybercrime world, they have a very healthy supply chain and they have differentiated um, their roles in the market. So the basis of Kyle's question is, well, uh, Amitet, we think of as victims, we think, oh, that's a threat actor that's going to attack us. But really what's happening is cyber criminals are going to a marketplace and saying, look, um, I, I need some infected machines uh, or I need to send some spam. And they go and negotiate. And people, yeah. there's people who operate botnets. There's people who uh, develop malware. There's people who obfuscate the malware. Um, there's people who have infected machines and you can pay them to install your malware in addition to whatever's on there so that you can use the machines for their purpose. Or you can buy whatever information has been harvested off those machines. And so Kyle's question is sort of like, so what's the Emetet marketplace like? Um, and then how does that affect my ability to defend? Uh, Kyle's got another question. Oh, sorry, Alec, you were going to say something? Yeah, I was going to say Emotet is really big. They're really big until they go on hiatus when they shut down all of their command and control infrastructure. Like they they don't leave so if you if you were using it or leveraging it before and this happened both times when they go on hiatus or break unannounced, all of their infrastructure shuts down. So it also if you're doing reconnaissance and research on them, all of a sudden it's it's off, right? You can't find the things that you're looking for anymore. So Emotet, I think I'm guessing as an organization if I had to guess, they have internal squabbles just like you would have anywhere else but the the problem there is then they just shut it down because i don't know it's probably not worth it if you're there to make money illegally if you're having these fights with other people why bother right because there are there are other apex predators in the market that you can go and work with just like you said mm -hmm. it's the same as job hunting if you're a if you're a threat actor and you work for emotet and emotet's having problems why wouldn't you just take your skills elsewhere yep um uh, we'll see some of the same patterns with Evil Corp. Um, this is, uh, Chris, you started your story off with my favorite phrase, which is, Emetet is back. And it seems like for the last uh, year or two, uh, literally you could pick any threat actor that's been in the news in the past five years and type into Google, threat actor name is back. <laughs> and uh, Alec is getting at the point that that is a common thing is... Um, they will, if their infrastructure gets burned too much, they'll pull back, they'll refactor. Uh, maybe they'll actually redevelop their malware platform. Maybe they'll replace it with something else. Maybe they'll deploy new infrastructure that's more bulletproof. And behind the scenes, they might be shopping for new partners uh, in the same way that Walmart might say, well, you know, we need all these little garden gnomes, but 
our current five suppliers globally are unreliable and can't meet our order volume. So what we're going to do is just go out to market and say, who can give us reliably a hundred thousand of these to every store every year. And then they might, there might be a, a run on garden gnomes and there's none for a while. And I'm not joking that <laughs> it's, no, it's, it is it's, supply chain management. It's a good analogy. Yeah. No, for sure. Uh, so Kyle, uh, says so, uh, and this is a, a comment on what we just said. So you can map out attackers uh, by the payload TTPs and distinguish between the various campaign or actors, even if you're, they're using general infrastructure. I'm not I, sure. Yeah, yeah I, have two, uh, I have two thoughts on that, but I'll go after it, Chris. Oh, okay. I was going to say um, potentially. I mean, uh, when like you said, when Emotet shuts down and they go dark for a while, uh, everything's gone away and now they come back up. So we know Emotet's back based on certain TTPs, but we see that Emotet is passing out CACBOT and we see that Emotet is doing all these other different campaigns. Or, yeah. So even though it's the same spam infrastructure, they're being hard, uh, sold out in different ways to pass on different things. I'll pass back yeah. to you, Alec. Yeah, and if you're if you're if you're thinking from like a threat hunting perspective, like is this always the same person or is this the same group? With with APTs, it's easier, right? Because APTs make the same kind of noise usually. So if, if you've got those those IOCs and those those, I guess I'm, I'm just trying to say IOCs twice here. But if if you see that that pattern that says you know this is APT 41 or this is APT 7, you, that kind of stuff you can tell. But I guess like my my mal spam and. Uh, password cracker example i i found both pieces and i found about nine different people who had purchased these combinations at the same time or i believe based on the references that i found in the forums but then i have no way to know if it was any of them or if this was somebody that skipped this normal process chain entirely and just went straight through direct private messaging and i'm not going to push these forums hard enough so they they know that i'm looking right but it's it's yeah it's just tricky to know if it's always the same person uh, just being a good librarian and promoting literacy, um, I put some stuff in the comments for those who don't know what a TTP is. Um, <laughs> Mitre is your friend. In fact, uh, let me just take a little literacy, literacy moment and show something on the screen. There'll be a good uh, blurb or a header to get literacy moment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't tempt me. Um, so... Uh, Tools, techniques, and procedures, or tactics, techniques, and procedures um, is what we're talking about. And these are the ways that we categorize the behaviors of our adversaries. Uh, along that, this is the MITRE ATT&CK framework, which characterizes behaviors of adversaries post-exploitation. So after they've compromised you. And along the top is we have um, uh, the, uh, the tactics and they have generic names, but the TTPs we're talking about are sort of actor specific. And in the MITRE framework, they list all of the things that are currently a problem for us. Usually these are things that are um, more challenging to identify. The, the things that your antivirus, your IPS aren't going to just get right away. And you can drill down and see specific techniques that are used by these adversaries and even get examples of specific adversaries using them, the kinds of things that Chris and um, uh, Alec are talking about tonight. That's your literacy moment. 
All right. Well, then I guess circling back to a comment that uh, Chris had made. Uh, so, yeah, there's uh, someone, we don't know who, that's basically trolling these guys and uh, replacing the payloads with memes. Um, is, is it a good thing or is it a bad thing, right? Um, sorry, Chris, uh, I think you were going to interrupt me. No. Oh, oh okay. I, I was going to say, and oh. if, if you've done your research on the Emotet infrastructure, you know they're notoriously insecure, mm. right? They, they, they have a they've done a good job at spreading wide, but they haven't done a good job of protecting themselves. So it, it was just a matter of time till someone mm -hmm. like whoever this person was would, would go, would go in and find a way to, to shut it down or at least to slow it down rather. Right. For sure. And then uh, I guess the question is, is, is this a good thing? I think it's a good thing personally. Um, is it right? Who knows? Uh, but I guess, you know, Hey, I want to be hacker, man. I can travel through time, you know. <laughs> uh, on on screen, we're showing the uh, examples of the memes that are showing up for people infected with Emotet. Uh, but um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a hard line. I mean, I don't want to encourage people to become vigilantes, and we don't want to say that the ends justify the means. In this case, yes, showing someone a meme rather than having them be infected by malware. That is a good outcome, but is should we, as security practitioners, be going out and hacking back against these uh, organizations? That's it was a loaded conversation from what was that a year or two ago when we started the whole hack back debate. It is a loaded conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle asked that same thing. Uh, we're going to be doing at least one upcoming live stream on ethics. Um, the discussion I think that we're going to have in that. Um, upcoming episode on ethics is probably going to be more about pen testing, but hacking back is a Google my name and Google the phrase hacking back. And you will see all the way back to 2002, me discussing this on SANS uh, forums about why hacking back is not to our advantage. Um, it actually costs us as the defenders. On the other hand, I made um, an interesting ethical choice seven years ago when I first decided to um, learn all of the adversary techniques and learn pen testing, um, I made the choice that on the dark web, I had no problem hacking against uh, the ransomware providers who were putting up their ransom pages. And in the case of one particular adversary, <laughs> oh my God, vulnerabilities. <laughs> They're not always the best developer and they don't always know cybersecurity, uh, SQL injections, cross-site scripting injections, um, misconfigurations in Apache that all in one afternoon you're able to basically, oh, here's the password for your MySQL database. Um, it's, uh, wouldn't do that outside the dark web. <laughs> I wouldn't say that attacking is easy, but defense is definitely hard. And just because yeah. you're good at attack does not mean you're good at defense. Yeah. Just because you can compromise someone doesn't mean you understand OPSEC either. <laughs> <laughs> um, so why don't we turn this over to Alec? Uh, Alec. Sure. So all this ransomware talk kind of brings me to what is my favorite topic right now. And it's been, it's been quiet since the middle of June, but for those that pay attention to Maze, or now as they're becoming the Maze cartel, um, the Maze ransomware 
group, who, who I would consider one of the apex predators of the ransomware landscape, has started, not absorbing, but becoming affiliates with other other ransomware-based groups. So to the best of my knowledge right now, it's Maze and Lockbit and Ragnar Locker are all part of this Maze cartel. And when this was first happening, again, in the middle of June, there was three, there was Maze cartels out, here's Lockbit, here's Ragnar Locker. And I was excited is not the right word, but that's the, probably the emotion um, because that feels like something big, right? It feels like something big and unfortunately interesting is about to happen, but then it kind of just returned to the de facto of that if Maze or Lockbit or Ragnar Locker has, has compromised someone, they post them up on their shame websites, really. They're, you, you know, you have to pay us or we're going to release your data websites. And the the steady stream that is Maze basically continued. So it, what's happening behind the scenes at Maze, I have no idea. And I don't know that I have any way to know, but I, I am interested to see what the plan is here because my assumption and this is all speculation, is that if Maze is picking up other groups, then maybe some of the other big groups like Doppler Paymer or other groups like that are doing the same thing. So uh, I internally am kind of worried that there's about to be a, a turf war in the ransomware landscape more than there it kind of is now. Yeah, that's that's a good blurb on that one. And then the other one that I think is really interesting from a news perspective is um, that... Uh, APT29 or Cozy Bear or the Dukes, I think are their two aliases, is actively targeting uh, COVID-19 vaccine developers. And as far as I know, there, there's not really any underlying reason why that, that is readily available, but that there, there's got to be some, I assume, political motivation behind this. Because um, if you also don't know this about AP229, they are the group that's been accused of hacking the Republic, not the Republic, but the DNC um, during the election, the 2016 election. So I guess for me, when I when I am doing intelligence work, the stuff that I find is interesting is it's the, it's trying to figure out the the why or the what's going on in the background, because it's it's hard to know on this side of the fence. And like everybody said, it's, it's very hard to defend. And it's very hard to defend if you don't know what's going on. So any digging you can do for, for your company, or for me specifically, I work in conjunction with our SOC, I think really helps give you an edge and gives you a leg up. Um, I want to, uh, I, the, the point you hit on about um, a turf war and the other ransomware gangs. Um, so uh, Maze is near and dear to my heart too. It's a really exciting threat actor to track right now. And uh, for those of you who don't know, so if you watch the news and you see someone was recently breached with ransomware, uh, and I use the word breach advisedly, you'll, you'll notice different actor names the reason why Maze is a cartel is because they are absorbing other ransomware providers. They're sort of setting up shop and saying, let's join forces. We're stronger together. But several of these ransomware providers changed their game mid time last year where Maze released the website, right? Yeah. So up until, I don't know, first quarter last year, it was really, really common that so when someone had a ransomware attack, what you would see 
is them saying we have no evidence that information was disclosed or that we were breached. It's just ransomware. Mm -hmm. uh, our computers are now disabled. We have to pay an extortion fee. And the problem there is the assumption that, oh, because they encrypted our files and because we have no evidence that they read the files, Exfil, yeah. we can just assume they didn't. But then Maze changed the game because they started to put up this website. Um, I'll see if I can find an example of the screenshots in a second that basically named and shamed their victims. So they'd say, oh, uh, pay us to decrypt, give you the decryption key. And then they say, oh, by the way, we took your data and here's a sample of it. Pay us again. And before you know it, so yeah. Nitakibi, yeah. Nempty, Doppelpamer. Um, I actually have a list of 10 that yeah. are all currently extorting people. So ransomware, just throw the word out. It's extortion. And so for months now, you'll hear in many news outlets that they'll basically say, if you've got ransomware, you are breached. Your data has been lost. It has been exposed. You have to assume it. Yeah, well, and, that, and a lot of the actors now, since since the game was changed last year, is that's what they do. Is they do you do the classic? You get in and you wait. You find the data that's that's the most prominent. You exfil and then you drop your ransomware payload because then you've got you've got your your the thing that you were after, which is the data, which is the money maker, and you've got your ransomware to to shut it down to draw attention to now I have your things right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is actually a great segue into uh garmin yeah and evil corp. evil corp yeah uh so let me just start there so uh everyone knows that garmin the gps maker giant giant multi-billion dollar uh, uh global corporation suddenly was offline and their application stopped working their devices stopped working and it was revealed that they were a victim of ransomware and that the threat actor is uh, a group called Evil Corp. Evil Corp, in contrast to Maze Cartel, Doppelpamer, Sonita Kibi, Nempty, etc., aren't known to steal data. Or rather, there are many, many media reports that say, but they don't steal data, they just charge you a ransom. The problem is, there are many other reports that Evil Corp's leaders and members are associated with the FSB in Russia and that they do steal data. They just don't leverage it for extortion. It's actually part of intelligence gathering uh, and espionage. Uh, someone tell me I'm wrong or tell me I'm right. I know if I was a nation state and you know I had access to information that no one else did, why would I try, why would I try and release it? I, I would keep it a secret so that you know, no one knows whether I have that information or not. So I could leverage show, it at a later, later date, right? Why show your hand, right? Exactly, exactly, right. And it makes sense. And if you and obviously, I mean, when you look at like the targets that Evil Corp goes after, they are very big prized companies that they go after. So there's certainly some sort of you know trade secrets or you know some sort of information that you know those corporations hold, which essentially makes them the money and for you know these you know for for the fsb to have that information 
they could use it to great, you know, for great gains later on. So why expose that? And then, you know, all of a sudden have that company change their formula or whatever have you, their technology, uh, just because they know, they know that someone has stolen that information, right? So. Well, if I was a threat actor or a threat actor group, nation state or otherwise, that would be a business decision, right? Same as Absolutely. any other business. Will I make more money short term here saying I have your data, pay me now, or will That's keeping true. the data and profiting for, from it be better? Because it, I, I guess a lot of the depiction of threat actor groups is, oh, like we're all dark and in the basement and it's whatever, spooky <laughs> in the media. But for all we know, threat actor groups throw on a suit and they go to their threat actor tower and that's where they work from, right? Yeah. I mean, There's it's, no it's, reason to think they're any different than you or I. Well, in fact, for some threat actors, we know they do. Uh, my my very favorite report, the very first APT report, APT1 from FireEye, um, literally showed the tower in China where APT1 worked. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, going back to what Alec was saying uh, about, uh, you know, uh, was it APT29 that was uh trying to steal uh, for the vaccines yeah yeah, the vaccine yeah. data same thing right why would you show your hand why wouldn't you just steal the data or you know get into someone's network and just keep stealing the data and pretend like you know nothing's happening at least in that way you know you're leveraging their knowledge their research and then um and then and then using it for your own benefit right so i mean i have i guess i have mixed feelings about that um i in my mind i think a vaccine should be made free for everybody around the world. Uh, maybe that's just my altruistic socialist nature. But I also I also feel that, you know, if we're going to go that far and complain, there's other things we, you know, we as Canadians should be complaining about. Uh, not, not just from a cybersecurity standpoint, but from an IT technological uh, advancement point, right? I mean, when you look at, for example, Tesla, Tesla actually is leveraging, I think, one or two technologies that were invented by Canadian institutions. And we haven't asked for any royalties or anything from that. And really what funds those organizations is taxpayer money. So essentially, you know, you have a private company that's making money off of our tax pay, you know, our hard hard earned Mm -hmm. dollars and our hard earned researchers. So in that aspect, I also do feel like, yeah, you know what, there has to be some sort of, you know, I guess, whatever you want to call it, um, middle ground where it's like okay well we don't want to charge everybody but we got to somehow figure out a way to keep funding this so that you know research yeah. continues and, and we progress as as society and i guess human human you know globally all, all around the world human well, uh, somehow that's what that's not what i think cozy bear is up to <laughs> yeah, and, no, and, no, and, no, and they're not just after not. us right it's so yeah. the the big three that i've seen is is european nations the u.s and us so that I don't know why I wouldn't go after certain other um, institutes either, but that those are the three areas that they're targeting for the the companies that are doing the research. Yeah, no, for sure. Actually, yeah, the whole the whole question of this really um, it, it becomes really interesting because, um, and I guess maybe this does even tie into the whole concept of the maze cartel too. So Michael and I were having this discussion yesterday about you know if this was you know, 20 years ago, if, th- if this was the landscape 20 years ago, uh, you probably have some, you know, government secret agents going in and doing some wet work and, you know, taking these people out, right? Because, I mean, if you read the article Michael posted about uh, Evil Corp, I mean, they know who who run, who are the, who, who are part of that group. 
So, you know, the question is, why doesn't the CIA just drop into Russia, pull those guys into the U.S., and then arrest them, right? Um, or even take but, it a step further, why don't they just assassinate them completely? That's the human equivalent of hack back, though. That is, you, that is. You you are saying all the things that I uh, that I said to you last night that I will never say on camera. <laughs> like, it's a shame the CAA canceled the rendering program when they did. <laughs> well, it's just a conversation, right? I mean, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying that, you know, really. Speculation well, is great so, when there's no actual moral. Uh, uh, well, exactly. And then, you know, attached. but, you know, I mean, further the conversation, uh, you know, I was I was I was making the comment. I said, you know, I think it's just a matter of time before these organizations. Uh, and again, you know, Alec, I think you you pointed it out. Uh, this all becomes a turf war, uh, and we've seen it, you know, throughout the past. Whether you want to talk about, you know, the New York crime crime families, for example, right? You know, back in the day, like uh, what is that? Like over a hundred years ago, uh, with prohibition in place in the U.S., there was a massive turf war. And I don't think, or, you know, and, you know, fast forward a little bit further. And uh, now you're seeing, you know, the drug cartels in, out of Mexico and it's, it's a massive turf war. So I don't, I don't know. I, I feel like, you know, this same scenario is playing out in the cybersecurity landscape. And I think it'll just be a matter of time before, you know, some of these larger organizations say, you know what, screw it. I'm going to hire this guy and we're going to off the other guy in the real well, world. Or, or or even not get their hands dirty, and then you get into Chris's, you know, cyber incidents with real world impact, right? Mm -hmm. Just you know, if I am threat actor group A and threat actor group B is really pissing me off, maybe I knock out all of the power and water and infrastructure in the the area where I know they are, and it doesn't just affect them. But that's oh, okay because exactly. I'm I'm dealing with them at the time. Well, exactly. I mean, there's no real concept of collateral damage, right? It's yeah. whatever you know, maximum damage I can dole out to my adversary, which is another you know, again uh you know threat actor group right that's essentially doing the same thing i might be doing but you know they're they've got a better handle or they've got turf and i want to take over their turf right so well well and like with with maze and ragnar locker ragnar locker is way their website is way better right and their development on that end is way better and that's one of the speculations is why maze chose ragnar locker was because the maze website is okay mm -hmm. but the ragnar locker one is way better so if you're using someone else's skills that just is to your advantage so right. in terms of turf war, I wanted to bring up this, um, uh, again, being a librarian, here's a book. Um, uh, there's an author named Misha Glennie who does some uh, former BBC correspondent who does some great writing about uh, mafias. And he has two books on the darknet and cybercrime. And in one of his books, he talks about why there aren't more turf wars between um, cybercrime gangs. And it's because they actually have conferences in Odessa on an annual basis. And they do it in Odessa because it's an old uh, oligarch-controlled organized crime city where they can all safely get together and talk about their business and set the rules straight, and there's a pecking order. Uh, I think that is strongly factoring in to Evil Corp. Um, Maybe this is a good time to actually talk about who Evil Corp is and why they're so... Okay, even if you're not a threat intelligence geek, even if you don't like to do this kind of open source intelligence analysis, this is just salacious. It's, it's, it's primetime TV. Uh, but 
does uh, Alex or Chris, do you want to actually uh, talk about uh, describe Evil Corp, or do you just want me to launch into a bunch of stuff? Go, man. It's all you. <laughs> um, so uh, in the sh- in the show notes, there's a whole bunch of articles. I don't even have all the articles that I'm basing this on. Um, so call me out if I got a detail wrong. But here's basically off the top of my head in a nutshell. So this threat actor has been present from about 2007. This is a really old threat actor. Maybe not in the exact same form. Um, There's a couple really interesting characteristics about them that um, over time, their methods have evolved, their tools have evolved, and their group has picked up members and lost members. Doppelpamer is actually a split off of Evil Corp. Um, They've been sort of uh, on the leading or pioneering edge of quite a few of the techniques that we regularly talk about as defenders. So um, DLL injections, uh, DNS poisoning, uh, aspects of how ransomware is carried out, they all do that. But they're not, today, uh, they're in the news because of um, uh, Wasted Locker, their new ransomware. However, they're actually associated with quite a few other pieces of malware, most notably Drydex. And I'll just go back to the joke. Chris uh, started his piece by saying, Emma Tet's back. Drydex my is back too. <laughs> yeah, my favorite headline, and uh, it's happened multiple times, Drydex is back. Yeah. And then dry- followed by the subtitle, it was never gone. <laughs> Yeah, well, it it dry. So that's funny that you bring up Drydex because they went quieter uh, from last quarter of last year until probably six weeks ago when I started seeing them again. And all of a sudden, yeah, Drydex is back, and like you're seeing IOCs everywhere, and I'm compiling more data on them. And when I first saw them, when the information was first fed to me, I was like, oh yeah, they're they're back. Like I haven't heard thought about this in a while. Yeah. Um- so this threat actor's got a really deep history. Um, all Part of their history is also that they've been busted. So um, part of the Drydex history is that there was a very large international coordinated effort to take their infrastructure down, and it was killed. But it wasn't killed because they came back later. Uh, through this entire history, the people behind... Evil Corp have been identified, and there are two important legal things that happened in the states. So one is the named individuals in Evil Corp have been indicted. That is, if they step into a U.S. ally or someone who has an agreement, an extradition treaty with the U.S., they will be picked up and shipped to the U.S. But the Treasury Department has sanctioned them. And this is really important for the people that become their victims because they have been sanctioned and the Treasury Department therefore um, says you cannot, as a U.S. entity, conduct a transaction with them. You're forbidden from it, which means you're technically not supposed to pay the ransom. And I'm sure there are many legal nuances that I don't understand. Uh, But in a nutshell, 
when Garmin revealed that they had been infected with wasted locker, um, there was speculation in the media that, whoa, what would happen if Garmin pays the ransom? Would the Treasury Department really step forward? And then I, I, I have not confirmed this. This is total speculation. So if someone's got the details, please tell me. But um, uh, rumor is that they paid the ransom, but through a, one of their subsidiaries. And as soon as I heard that, I thought, oh, yeah. The subsidiary, and, they, and the, the rumor was they picked the subsidiary because they might be able to write it off tax-wise. And I thought, no, maybe they're just picking a foreign subsidiary so they can avoid um, the U.S. sanctions. I don't know. That's just, that's what's so salacious about this threat actor. Um, on, on screen, I'm showing this great article from Medusa. Medusa is sort of like Vice Magazine, but in Latvia. And they cover Russian news. If you want to find out, you, you just go there. You're going to see exact parallels between U.S. news and Russian news. Protesters, little green men on the streets, throwing people in minivans. Um, but they have got this great piece, and it reads just like a Vice magazine piece. It's a good scoop. They've got some crazy sources. But is it evidence? It's kind of like intuition and instinct. Um I think they get facts better than Vice, actually. But in here, they've got lots and lots of pictures of people. They found the members of uh, Evil Corp who were still active on social media. Most aren't. And uh, most of their social media revolves around their lavish lifestyles and their cars. And so everywhere you go in the media, what do we know about Evil Corp? We know they love their cars. So many cars. So many cars. Um this is the face of $100 million cybercrime empire. Well, the Cars one is a funny one because if you show your very fancy, unique car a little bit of open source, I can find it. And like, if you have, if you're one of the three letter agencies closed sourced, you can definitely find it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, there's other articles beside the Latvian one that talk about um, the um, reported head of Evil Corp and his wife's legitimate businesses. Um, this is uh, a threat actor that we know things about them personally. We know their names or some of their names. And yet they continue to um, uh, uh, commit crimes unabated. And part of that is also because the head of Evil Corp has an uncle in the Russian um, intelligence agencies. And there are other news articles that speculate um, or report that they have previously shared information with the FSB. And so the Latvian article basically calls them the FSB's personal hackers. Well, the FSB has a lot of personal hackers. <laughs> it's not just them. Um, uh, so that's like the first interesting thing. The second interesting thing is the difference between Drydex and ransomware. The Drydex's history is as an information stealer, as a banking Trojan. Um, and they've made a lot of money off that. But contrasting that to their ransomware business, um, they, as Morrow talked about, they go after really big targets. And so prior to the Garmin hack, 
Um, Symantec actually had warned 30 major U.S. companies, I think uh, roughly 10, give or take, were in the Fortune 500 that they that the the extortion was eminent, and uh, so the way I uh, interpret reading between the lines is that basically Semantic said, "Hey, we found this infection on your machines. Um, if you let this go a minute longer, you're you're going to be devastated." And so Semantic has gone and. Um, you know, bragged about how we saved these 30 U.S. corporations and Garmin wasn't one of them. <laughs> An open question then becomes, who else out there has the the initial foothold from Evil Corp that right now they are trying to gather information, get more privileges, identify where the backups are, and then wait for that moment where they devastate the company and demand the extortion. Basically, that is the message that everyone should be taking away, not just about Evil Corp, but about all of those apex predators that Alec mentioned. Um, and before I, I ask for commentary, I'm going I'm to mention one last thing. So this is sort of, um, if you're in your environment and you're saying, well, Oh, geez, that sounds bad. Uh, what do I look for? So um, uh, Symantec did us a solid and basically outlined the kill chain that Evil Corp is following for all of these attacks. And there's some really decent indicators of compromise you can look for. So uh, these attacks are starting with uh, a fake update from JavaScript. So you're going to end up someone, and, and it doesn't matter who, someone in your company is going to end up on a web page and there's going to be a pop-up message that says they need a flash update. And that's just going to be a JavaScript trick, but they're going to end up downloading a stager. So some little script is going to run and that is going to invoke PowerShell. And I'm just going to guess it's always PowerShell one. Whenever you see those macro viruses, you know, in a Excel file or word doc, usually the first command they run is PowerShell one. Um, there's reasons for that. And that's going to download the next stage, which is actually going to be Cobalt Strike Beacon. Oh, thank you, legitimate pen tester tool that we have to defend ourselves against billions of dollars of damage. Um, sorry, there's my bias that Chris is supposed to keep in check. I will. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, so Cobalt Strike Beacon is going to run, and that's going to give them sort of this initial foothold. It's going to beacon back and then let them... Um, send a .NET injector. And the point of that is the PowerShell one, the beacon and the .NET injector are really well-known tools that are hard to catch. Evasion is easier with these tools. Then the next part is lolbass. For those who aren't aware, lolbass means living off the land, binaries and scripts. What that means is no more malware. Malware can be detected. We're going to use built-in tools. Uh, PowerShell, obviously, but a whole bunch of things like uh, RegEdit, um, the built-in stuff for installing patches that can extract or create cab archives, yeah. uh, tools that can download things, 
Um, the yeah, essentially, I was going to say uh, it's like uh, you know back in the day before Microsoft bought uh, Winternals. It's like essentially all Winternal tools. Yeah, like those yeah. admin tools that are just like super uber user uh, tools. Sys internals is a big part of. Oh, that. sorry, that's right. Sys internals. Sys internals. That's it. So. That's the first thing they're going to do with those uh, with those lolbass tools is they're going to execute a, a privilege escalation. And if you're a Windows administrator, you might go, "Well, I can't even imagine how they do that." Believe it or not, it's fairly easy to execute in a in an Active Directory environment that kind of privilege escalation. There's a tool called Bloodhound, which will yeah. actually map it out and tell you the shortest route to domain admin. But all they need at this point is a local privilege escalation. And there's a lot of ways they can do that. And then they're going to disable Windows Defender on the local machine. So you'll notice up until this point, they're using techniques that are really hard to catch, can evade our standard and even our advanced anti-malware, but don't really give them much. As soon as they turn off Windows Defender, now they go after domain admin. Now they start to expand the scope in their in, in your environment, try to figure out more accounts, look at your active directory, and then they get domain admin. That's my speculation. That's not actually in the report that I saw. And then once they have the ability to execute code on all your endpoints and servers, they use PS exec, which is part of sys internals. It's a standard tool. And then they distribute the ransomware. And so this could take weeks. It could take as long as it needs to take. And they're just going to keep working away silently, not getting caught until they're ready, until they have complete access. And then boom, now you're encrypted. And it's not just Evil Corp that follows a similar model. The other ones use different tools, different scripts, maybe slightly different procedures, but it always starts out with this little foothold, get some local credentials, go undetected, and then start scoping out your network. Find out where your backups are. Get your admin credentials and get ready. And so uh, those uh, the ones who extort you and steal your data, they'll actually spend weeks and get backups of your data. Maybe they'll uh, take... Uh, images of your VMs that you already have in your backups. Uh, in one technique, they will actually, if you have cloud backups, they will transfer the backups from your Azure tenant to theirs. Good luck talking to support about getting those back. Um, they'll get all the credentials they need to either wipe your backups or lock you out of your accounts. Then they'll ransomware you. And imagine what that's going to look like to you when you're responding as a sysadmin. All you care about is the ransomware. You're not even thinking they stole the data. You're locked out of your backups. Now your your whole incident response and recovery is delayed, causes chaos. And then you get the extortion demand. And in the case of the maze cartel, you get two extortion demands, one to decrypt and one to get your data. Uh, Evil Corp isn't known for extorting you on the data. And as I said, I think... It's because if there's data that's valuable for intelligence purposes, they're just not going to reveal their hand and they're going to hand it over. And you have to ask yourself, Garmin's a GPS provider. Is any of that valuable for intelligence? Well, uh, when, say, yeah. 
you had to uh, the FSB and then the FSB protect you, right? So it's like Does does anyone remember uh who was the other GPS provider hacked last year? Spava? Is that the That's name of it? Strava. Strava. So in the Strava breach, um <laughs> The problem was that uh, in Afghanistan, the only people with fitness trackers were U.S. personnel. And so a breach like that means you know the location of all the bases. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, anyways. Well, so that's, that's the other interesting thing about, uh, uh, about Evil Corp is the way they operate. So got a question. So I think it's kind of a good time to add this in as a break. But uh, Jared's asking, do you think that transparent disclosure during a breach helps or hinders when recovering from a breach? It's a good question, actually. Disclosure with whom? And help recover what? Because a lot, most, I would say almost all of the disclosure that we see from breaches is PR. I need to recover the company image. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think any tr transparent um, disclosure that we're seeing has anything to do with helping protect other people. This is how we were breached. This is how to protect yourselves. Everything that I've seen, maybe you guys have seen something different, has been I'm just putting out a PR message to save the face of the company. But there, there are intelligence groups or gatherings because I, I am part of some where you talk about, um, you know, our organization saw these these big incidents this month. This is why they're important, and you share them with another group, and then that other group shares with you kind of their their ISCs and the stuff that they found. So disclosure that way I think helps because before Drydex was back, um, another organization told us that it was coming. So when it kind of started to come back up, we were already aware that this might happen. Um, so there's another angle I'd take that. Um, so quite often when you've discovered your breach, uh, the practice today is not to tip your hand until you're ready to remediate. So quite often uh, in the old days, you think the standard um, defense is, oh my God, we're breached, start pulling plugs. The problem today is with threat actors being so destructive, as soon as you tip your hand that you're trying to respond, they might actually start to destroy things or create actions that promote chaos to put pressure on you to give into their extortion demands. And so quite often when someone either knows they're breached or it's revealed in the media they're breached, they'll be silent for a while because they don't want the threat actor to know what they're actually working on. Um, a lesson for every buddy who works in security operations or as a sysadmin <clears throat> is you need an out of band communication method set up in advance and you have to have no mention it anywhere in your IT infrastructure, whether it's a Slack channel, a separate Google infrastructure for email so that if you suspect your breach, you can communicate really swiftly, but without it being disclosed in any way. Um, in this case, in terms of being transparent, um, I, I, I think, Chris, it's a bit cynical to say it's just PR, but it is correct to say that 
corporations have a stake in protecting their reputation. Um, and so they don't want to give out too much information, but if they make a misstep, they'll be perceived as doing things wrong. In fact, there's a story in our show notes that I think is a great example. Uh, the Wattpad. And the uh, yeah, Blackbot and Wattpad. Let me just bring those up. So these are Canadian stories uh, from the last few weeks. Fulfill our CanCon requirements. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. Uh, so Ambrose University here in Alberta um, disclosed this week that they were affected by Blackbaud's data breach. Blackbaud is a service provider who does software as a service for fundraising and uh, um, tons of universities, tons of charities use it. If you're at the UFC and you're an alumni, the UFC's alumni page is through Blackbaud. Are you going to see a disclosure soon from them? I don't know. Um, if you just Google Blackbaud site colon CA, you'll find all the Canadian institutions that have Blackbaud. Um, the thing about the Blackbaud uh, thing is Blackbaud was breached. They disclosed to their customers, but not all of their customers disclosed it. I think Ambrose did a great job. But then there was Wattpad, who is this... Um, Canadian content provider, it's actually kind of cool what Wattpad does is if you're, uh, if you write content, you do screenplays, Wattpad will help find a, a channel partner for you. CBC Gem has a license to take Wattpad content and then publish it. Well, they have breach, but I'm not really convinced that, um, their very vague disclosure meets the same bar that um, I think Chris was alluding to. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's the more you say, the more chance you have of saying the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. Just rereading Jared's question again, transparent disclosure during a bridge. And I think Michael's point about we don't want disclosure during a breach while it's still in progress. I think what, as security practitioners, what we all are looking for is after action reports. I think that has more value than informing the world that, hey, I'm in the middle of a breach. Ransomware is currently infecting our system. We don't know what we're doing at this point. But an after action report of this is what happened. Here are the facts as they stand. Here's a timeline. Here are the things you can do to protect yourself. I think that's much more valuable. Um, today, it's very common for organizations that are large to have a breach coach. Yeah. Um, and they'll walk you through and tell you what to do and help le internal legal counsel balance the needs of the communication officer versus the needs of the incident response personnel. I have no idea where they find these breach coaches. <laughs> I don't know, Michael. It sounds like you want to be a breach coach. <laughs> <laughs> are you a breach coach? Would you like to come on our show and tell you tell us what you do? Yes, yes. because yeah, good idea, good idea. Someone's do you know a breach coach outside the box here? <laughs> yes, we. Our audience would love to meet a breach coach. Okay. Um, all right, Michael. So I think we should talk about the Twitter hack. 
we've got some time. Uh, does someone want to address that? Go ahead, Alec. I was just going to say, if you want to, I have to. Yeah, I think Alex got to jump. Alex has to go to drop yeah. off here really soon. So, Alec, thank you so much again uh, yep. for the second time or third time joining us. Um, uh, we're going to do another Thread Intel stream. We don't know when, a month or so. Yep. Cool. I'm, I'm here. All right, Hopefully, cool. there will be no news. <laughs> <laughs> and that would be a very boring, uh, very boring episode then. <laughs> okay. I'll see if I can uh, tell a good yarn about Twitter. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. See you, Alex. See you, Alex. See ya. Um, so everyone's aware that a few weeks ago, um, there was all sorts of um, news about Twitter to the point that anyone with a blue check mark suddenly one afternoon found out they couldn't log in. They couldn't post. Um, not only that, but some of the world's most prominent accounts were posting very scammy messages. Uh, let me bring one of those up. Yeah, like s send me some Bitcoin and I'll send you more Bitcoin back or something like that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, a message from Bill Gates saying, um, oh, paywall. I'm going to give back to the community. I'm doubling your Bitcoin up to the first 500,000 that are sent that's to me. That's right. Yes, that's what it was. Yeah. And uh, this occurred on Joe Biden's account, Jeff Bezos' account, Elon Musk's account, Apple's account, Barack Obama's account, Bill Gates' account, but not Trump's. Yeah. Um, so... Uh people probably wouldn't believe them anyways. So, and then, then they know it's all fake, right? <laughs> How would you tell the difference? It's fake news, man. It's fake. <laughs> oh, a great comment. Andrew oh. says that breach coaches are often external legal counsel from what he's seen. Mm, cool. That's well, actually, uh, that's actually good to know. Um, thanks, Andrew. Uh, so the, the afternoon that this Twitter thing blew up, uh, people saw these Bitcoin things and a lot of people uh, in the security community are like, wow, uh, get the, you know, pop the popcorn. This is obviously a scam. Uh, if you don't know Bitcoin, now notice in this screenshot, the Bitcoin address, BC1QXZ, and it's always the same for all of these. The really interesting thing is uh, many people believe Bitcoin is anonymous. It's not anonymous. It's actually very open. And so any transaction in Bitcoin is available for everyone to see. So if you know that address, you can actually go and just look up on a website all the payments made to and from that Bitcoin address. And so within hours, that address had received like $100,000 from people who had been scammed because they really believed that Jeff Bezos or Apple were giving back to the community. And the scam was whatever you send to this Bitcoin address, we will send you back double. And they would, they would uh, create a false sense of urgency by saying this will last 30 minutes. Uh, so obviously Twitter knew that there was some sort of security problem. Everybody on the outside knew there was a Twitter problem the people whose accounts had been hacked 
would log in to attempt to change their passwords. Uh, at a certain point, Twitter actually prevented those accounts from being touched. So people were frustrated. It's like, I'm trying to change my password. I can't log in. Um, turns out there were two, two reasons for that. Number one, the attackers were changing those passwords and locking people out. But number two, Twitter was also disabling all blue checkmark, all verified accounts. Speculation went rampant as, you know, you're in cybersecurity. You're not part of an incident. You speculate what could cause it. Um, I played that game too. So, uh, speculation number one, uh, phishing. Um, if you didn't know all these accounts have been hacked, you go, oh, be maybe Jeff Bezos' password had been guessed. But MFA, oh my God, there must be an MFA bypass. A and that's happened before with Twitter. Um, Twitter's notoriously been uh, a laggard in adapting or adopting um, uh, physical tokens. It used to be just phones. So then second speculation, oh, maybe it was SIM cloning. Maybe it's just like when all the celebrities' naked photos got hacked. Um, maybe people were bypassing MFA by getting control of their phones. But then all of them, all of these people have been fished. These people have media companies that run those accounts. This is highly unlikely. And... Twitter does support these tokens now. It seems unlikely. Uh, theory number two, what we talked about earlier. Third-party app integration. Most of these accounts aren't posting from a smartphone like you or I. They're posting from TweetDeck, um, something like that. So maybe it's an API integration. Maybe one of those providers did it. That was my bet. I immediately went and said, people... Go and check your third-party app integrations. Go to LinkedIn. Here's where to look. Go to Google. Here's where to look. If you've never done that, check our Discord. There's some instructions on where you can go <laughs> on places like Google and LinkedIn to find out which apps you've authorized to have full control over your social media accounts. Um, but then it was actually quite obvious that that couldn't possibly be it because there's no way that all of these accounts had that problem, and even if they were, say it was, uh, say it was TweetDeck. I don't even know if TweetDeck still exists. Um, it, they, the attackers wouldn't just have compromised Twitter. They wouldn't have put the scam just on Twitter. They would have put it on all of their social media outlets. It would be on Facebook. It would be on LinkedIn. It would be on TikTok, on Instagram. But none of these companies or individuals Instagrams had been hacked, only Twitter. So then another theory, uh, zero day exploit against Twitter. It's happened before early in Twitter's history, midway through their history. They had some very egregious uh, vulnerabilities. Never develop a major social media platform on PHP. <laughs> Never on PHP. Uh, but that left the scenario that everyone rolls their eyes at, including me. So I was talking to my wife and I'm like, oh my God, the internet's exploding. Twitter's been hacked. And she's like, inside job. Like, it's not an inside job. 
<laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it was an inside job. <laughs> well, the initial reaction was not just an inside job, but that somebody in Twitter had been hacked first, and yeah. then it came out that it was an inside job. So there was a fourth and then fifth theory. Um, that's a really good observation because um, something that's never high enough in our awareness for my tastes is that over the last two years, a whole bunch of outsourced IT providers were hacked and that threat actors actually leveraged the remote access we give via BombGar and um, uh, all of those remote tools. And so like inside hack, there's a lot of different ways it can occur. Um, so there's another aspect to this that if, so if you're doing incident response, one of the first things you should do is draw a timeline and you want to say, Oh my God, uh, the, my internal bias, the emotions I'm feeling make me focus on the thing I discovered as the beginning of the incident. It almost never is. There are things that preceded it. There are requirements that had to be fulfilled. So you establish a timeline. Well, as it turns out, many um, armchair analysts did and said, hey, you know, yesterday, a whole bunch of OG Twitter accounts got hacked. So for those who don't know, an OG Twitter account are these... Um, Three or like, fewer letters. Yeah, really short names. And they call them OG because the only way you got them was at the beginning of Twitter's history. So you're, you're OG. You're an old gangster in the Twitter world and they're sought out by hackers in certain communities there's underground forums where people try to buy them uh try to hack them etc there's famous cases where hackers have stolen og accounts and literally taunted the original person and twitter wouldn't give it back even though there's evidence that it was stolen anyways so there was some uh uh nefarious underground characters who had taken over some OG accounts the day before. And there was actually some open source intelligence that was able to reveal that there were some transactions going on. Simultaneously, it, the rumors were coming out that there was an inside job at Twitter and there was two categories. Was it that someone sold their access to a hacker or that someone had been fished because Twitter was one of the first ones that said, hey, work from home, it's permanent. So, uh, you know, an obvious piece of speculation would be, oh my God, someone got fished and hackers have got one of their workers' um, credentials. So maybe a high-ranking admin or something. And they're in on the VPN or the Citrix or whatever. Um, it, long story short, it turns out that there was an employee at Twitter who was selling their access in an underground forum to some of these OG seeking gangsters. And um, the speculation that this had to be a major, a major nation state, a huge hack was all bias. We think, oh, Twitter got hacked. So it's gotta be something like major. Well, it turns out not major, not really big hackers, some teenagers. Um, 
and the Bitcoin scam was probably trying to pay for the OG accounts they had bought. And uh, not quite sure how that worked, but they had been approached by a guy who said he could sell access, provided some evidence. That was some of the evidence that was leaked, screenshots he provided. It turns out that Twitter has got this God mode tool that lets the majority of their staff do anything to an account. And one of those people at Twitter decided to sell their access. And these kids were like, oh, give us the OG accounts. We'll buy those. And then a day later, they're like, we'll buy more. And they did the Bitcoin scam and they cashed in. This is a sure sign if you're doing intelligence analysis that this was not a major nation state. It is not even a major crime ring. Think about we talked about Evil Corp earlier. They go after people for $10 million a pop. Uh, $100,000, and they they literally revealed themselves, right? All these things on the screen. As oh, soon yeah. as that went out, they're blown. They're mm -hmm. done. This was not uh, a zero-day exploit. There's no way it could be because no threat actor worth their salt is going to reveal that zero-day exploit and waste it on $100,000 in bitcoin that's trackable and yeah. apparently the people who did this are bad at money laundering because money laundering is hard especially <laughs> with bitcoin oh yeah oh yeah okay so that's my attempt to actually explain the timeline no that was good that's I, great as, as always michael i think what's really interesting about this is the the screenshots of the admin dashboard and why do the admins have that much access and it, it comes down to it's very similar to toxic data you need your admins your help support at some point i'm going to have to say i need to reset an account reset a password for someone but do where is that line between i need this much to do my job i need this much because it's nice but i don't actually need it and it's more likely to cause me damage in the long run it's toxic to have that much access and to get it back to morrow's original point why was donald trump not part of this because he had actually special protections attached to his account that are so mm -hmm. secret that most people in twitter don't even know about them because his account was compromised or deleted in 2017 by a twitter employee and so because of that previous attack in a, again another internal attack um, his account is more protected than your average account and yeah the, the dms is the other point um yeah they there were questions raised i think it was by the the senate in the us about are dms encrypted and twitter had talked previously about they were thinking about doing end-to-end -end encryption on tw on dms i struggle to understand why they would not do that what possible need would they unless they really want to purposefully expose somebody's DMs to law enforcement at some point in the future, they have no need. And it's just toxic data at that point. It's going to get them in trouble if an average employee can get access to your DMs. Yeah, no. Uh, let's see here. What else was there? There was a comment from Jared, I think. RMM tool set breaches over the last two years have been uh, bad and yeah. up many nights. Yeah. Yeah. Um... yeah. So if you use, um, I remember, uh, there's uh, team viewer was, uh, there was the potential breach. Was that three years ago now? So there was a bunch of managed service providers, like giant global tens of thousands of employees, um, that use, um, oh man, at my last employer, we used it. It's, it's a, it's a complete 
vertical solution for managed service providers that includes remote management tools as well as billing and project management. And a couple of these giant providers like Tata had actually been breached and the threat actors had used those remote management tools to distribute malware and steal information. And there weren't it like there was not just one of those occurring. Jared's completely right. And if you're a if even like uh you're a little eight person shop that uses that tool, you're like, would they even let us know? <laughs> would we even know? Yeah, no. Um yeah, I remember those tools circa I'm gonna say around two thousand five ish. I always thought I'm like, wow, this is this is evil. If someone got a hold of this, they <laughs> the keys of the kingdom are are done done so yeah um it's really hard to um balance the risk of involving a third party with a lot of access mm-hmm. but versus the cost savings so a lot of organizations use these global com- companies um but if you think about the aggressiveness of our threat actors it's really hard to say. And uh, I know from my own personal experience, uh, Jared, I, I suspect your experience isn't that much different, that companies that use those global third parties, you can try to set out the practices you want them to follow. Trying to enforce it and trying to audit it is actually a real challenge. Um, there's already an assumption that you want to offload costs, that you're going to trust that partner, that they've been vetted. And... Um, trying to win that audit battle can be challenging who watches the watchman <laughs> yeah or even you know uh quite often audits done um at a level that doesn't do true verification of their claims at a technical level so they'll ask them a bunch of questions ask them for documentation ask them for uh, my favorite is um well, we'll audit the policies so the policies exist do they ex- and are they up to snuff and then we'll do a spot check to see if it looks like the policies are enforced or not. And it's not the same as saying, well, we actually verified that the controls were in place or that the controls have been verified. I verified that a backup had taken place. We haven't actually validated that the backup can be restored. Yeah. Or uh, we verify that there's a password policy. We have no idea if the passwords actually comply with the policy. Um, yep. Yeah. Um, Twitter just seems to pale in comparison after the Garmin hack. <laughs> no, but it was big news, right? Like for like that week, it was just kind of like, what's going on, right? And yeah, it, as you pointed out, it wasn't just some, you know, massive threat actor, or whatever, you know, is <laughs> like, like, like Kim said, it's an inside job. <laughs> it's like, uh. <laughs> oh man, too funny. Um, so be, I think this is a good time to wrap up. Uh, any parting comments, Chris? Separation of duties, segment your network, watch your logs. <laughs> Always good advice. Uh, stick around for a few minutes. Thank you, Chris. Moro. Yeah. So you know what? This time I'm gonna I'm gonna do some shout outs here because uh, you know we had a few people interacting. So thank you, Jared. Thank you, Kyle. Thank you, Andrew. James. Jeremy, for your comments and your questions. As always, we appreciate you as uh, loyal viewers. And uh, Kyle, I know uh, we invited you this time to be on this panel, but we might invite you on the next one if you can make it. So 
stay tuned for that. And again, you know, if you like this video, please uh, smash the like button or smash, 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 as Ali could put it. Uh, subscribe to the channel and hit that bell button for uh, any of our new videos that come out. So thanks. I'm going to end on a funny piece of note that connects it all together. So Twitter gets hacked. Uh, giant controversy on why Trump didn't get hacked. And then Congress decides to hold inquiries into privacy uh, and uh, the monopoly that all of the big companies, Apple, Amazon, Twitter, etc., have. And uh, 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 Facebook gets up in front of them and they say to Zuckerberg, as I understand it, uh, you've been uh, deleting messages and stopping conservative voices from getting their messages out. And you deleted a message by Donald Trump Jr. And Zuckerberg, who was prepared for much tougher questions, had to say, I think you're referring to Twitter. I work for a company called Facebook. Let me explain the difference. <laughs> In a world where we're trying to de decide the subtle differences and the nuances of major threat actors, our leaders are having a hard time deciding right. the difference between a tweet and a uh, a wall, a wall yeah. post. So yeah. uh, until next time, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for watching. That's the end of our show.